This is the Hidden Why podcast, episode 950. This is my interview with Lise DeGuire. We're discussing her book, Flashback Girl. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Lisa, welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. Great to have you here. Thank you, Lee. Thanks for having me. Just having a bit of a laugh for uh, our listeners out there. We actually had recorded our conversation a few weeks back, but I forgot to press the record button. So we're doing this for a second time around, and that was such a great conversation, so I, I couldn't uh, miss the opportunity, Lisa. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll be able to make an even better one, but I, I was saying to you, Lee, that uh, you know, now I feel like we're old friends, so it should be even better this time around, right? It should be, yeah. I think I've, I've had that happen once before, and, and I think the second interview was was even better because we had some, some groundwork already shared. So That's right. Fantastic, Lisa. So how is your day so far? Ah, well, you know, unlike you down under, my day is just beginning, uh, just ending pretty much. And uh, I saw lots of my clients, my psychotherapy clients, and um, talked about everybody's worries and concerns. And and now I'm just ready to talk to you. Perfect. So whereabouts are you in the States? Uh, I live just a little bit north of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania in the United States. Pennsylvania. Yeah, cool. So many yeah. places I have to visit over there one day. It's beautiful here. We'll get there once we uh, we reopen everything, I suppose. Yeah. Well, and I believe me, it's it's on my bucket list to get to um, Australia and New Zealand. And in in these COVID times, you know, I can't travel, and I love to travel. And mm. I find myself uh, when I think about traveling. The place I want to go to the most now is Australia and New Zealand. That's the place that keeps calling me. Why is that? What, what is it? What's the attraction? Uh, well, I'm, I'm afraid it has a bit to do with the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> Which just made me fall in love with New Zealand. But you know, in general, I've, you know, it's uh, it seems like it's a beautiful, beautiful area of the world down there. Absolutely, yeah. I'm a I'm a big uh, fan of the Lord of the Rings. Our daughter's actually named after one of the characters in it. Really? Yeah, Toriel. One of the uh, it's actually from the Hobbit, Toriel. Okay. Um, but yeah, so there you go. And I'd love to get over there too. I haven't visited that part of New Zealand. I've sort of been to the South Island a little bit years ago. But yeah, beautiful spot. So tell us about um, your story. You've got a new book out, Flashback Girl. And it's got this really bright yellow cover, which I love because it's my favorite color. Um, and it's got a flower on it with a, which I didn't recognize until you brought it up with a matchstick in it. What's this mm-hmm. this about? Yeah, so uh, I, I just have um, gotten published my book, Flashback Girl, Lessons on Resilience from a Burn Survivor. And uh, so this is my memoir. I was burned in a horrific fire when I was four years old. Mm. And, uh, you know, I could go into all that. Um, But, you know, suffice it to say, it's uh, very difficult um, being severely burned and having that happen to you when you're a child. And what, four years old, did you say? Yeah, four years old. Yes. Mm hmm. And it's my story of, you know, getting well from that um, physically and emotionally. And, um, you know, my hope in writing it is that it will inspire others who are suffering that, uh, you know, life goes on and you can still have a beautiful life, even if you have a very rough start. Mm, yeah, such a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a incident on, a, on a, a retreat or family vacation, wasn't it? Can yeah. Can you explain the story? 
Yeah. Uh, so my family uh, went on vacation. It was our first night, and um, my mother was trying to light a barbecue. And uh, she got a can of something that she thought was lighter fluid, but it turns out it was highly flammable household solvent. And she poured it on the charcoal, uh, but the charcoal didn't light, so she poured it on again. And when she did, um, a little flame shot back up into that can of household solvent and exploded all over my mom and me. Mm. And uh, so we were instantly on fire. And my mother recognized this and realized the only way out was to run through the fire and down into the lake that we were right next to. And that is what she did. And she left me in the fire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and then what happened after that? Uh, my dad uh, realized that I was trapped and, uh, you know, in mortal danger. And he jumped around and figured out a way to reach me from, from down below, pulled me through the spokes of a fence and got to me and uh, threw me down into the lake and extinguished the fire. But, uh, you know, by that point I was um, burned, uh, third degree burns on two thirds of my body uh, mm. and, um, you know, very, very badly disfigured as a result. At such a young age, I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of impact that must have on you from from you know kids at school. I suppose um, I don't know how long were you in hospital for. It was quite a period, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, so the first time was was five months, um, but you know I went back many, many, many times because burn recovery, yeah. you know, takes you know I don't know. We don't even honestly know how many operations I've had, Lee. Uh, it's somewhere between, I'm going to say, the low end is about 50 and the high end's about 60. So somewhere in there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, it was much of my childhood and adolescence. Um, I was back and forth in hospital and still go, actually. Um, and when I wasn't doing that, I was at home trying to sort of have a normal life as a child. But that was very difficult being so disfigured. Hmm. What um, what sort of lessons do you have or memories that you have from your childhood about how, like, ways to overcome that, I guess, um, maybe bullying that you might have had at school or, you yeah. know, there was, was there some, some lessons you had from that experience? Well, yeah. I mean, certainly one lesson um, I, I tell other people and I wish I had learned for myself is that when you're being bullied, you really – please tell someone, uh, because I did not. Um, I, I, you know, I came from a family that honestly wasn't, they weren't, they weren't really there for me the way they ought, ought have been. And so there wasn't much point in telling them, honestly. But, you know, I think there's plenty of people who get bullied. Unfortunately, it's not as uncommon as we wish it were. And, you know, no one can help you if they don't know about it. Mm. Um, yeah. So you so didn't I, have you didn't have anyone to really share that with your experiences. You felt like it was you was quite isolated. Absolutely. And you know, I don't know how old your listeners are, but I, you know, back in the day, I mean, this is you know the early, late sixties, early seventies, and mm -hmm. I just don't think bullying was taken particularly seriously then. It was just sort of something you endured. I don't know. Maybe it was different down there, but that's the way it was up here. No one, you know, really thought to intervene. No, it was more of a, this is just a, a normal part of life, I think. That's how yeah. it was sort of accepted when I was at school, and that was, you know, in, for me in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's only really in, in recent, you know, in the recent decade that I think it's become more of a focus at schools, at least. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. What What did you? I mean, you you now help other people um, with their traumas. Is that right? Is that the sort of work I you're do. doing? I'm a psychologist. I, uh, you know, went to school, went to graduate school, got my doctorate in clinical psychology, and that has been my work for, you know, decades now. Yeah. Um, what what and, got you into that? Is it because of what you went through that you, you know, felt that passion or urge to sort of help others? Obviously, you probably would have been quite skilled for it even before your studies because of what you experienced, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the one of the actual good things about suffering for people, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about myself here, I'm talking about people in general. I think one of the good things about suffering is that um, it can make a person more empathic, you know, more sensitive mm. to others, less inclined to judge. Um, and, and certainly it did that for me. Um, and uh, I truly like to be able to help people who are going through rough times too. But in addition to what I went through, I will say, you know, there's sort of another fairly tragic layer to my story, which is that there was uh, multiple suicides in my family. And Mm. um, my brother was one of them. And my brother was a highly gifted, incredibly brilliant young man. And he suffered from depression and other things too. And he took his life when he was 19. So, So, Mm. yeah, very young. So to me, it has always been a really compelling mystery of how it is that I made it through all these terrible things. And, you know, we've, we've only just begun talking about them, but really quite a lot. And Mm. I'm, you know, I'm here now and I have a beautiful life and, and I'm a very happy person. And my poor brother who, uh, if you were to look at him, would have you would have thought him to be the most advantaged person you know, could not make it. Mm. So it, I've been interested in trying to help people be more resilient all my life, and starting, I think, with what I saw with my brother. Yeah, and I mean, you were quite close with your brother. He was sort of your, your guide, wasn't he, through what you experienced as well? Absolutely. Yeah. He was um, five years older than me. Mm. And our parents, our our mother and our father were, you know, very gifted, um, artistic, intelligent people. They were fascinating people, but they really were not particularly equipped to be parents, especially especially our mother. And so my brother really stepped in, as I think, you know, sometimes older siblings do, right, when their parents aren't too great. My brother stepped in. He was wonderful to me looked out for me, um, taught me lessons, cared for me, um, helped me with my problems. So it was a terrible thing to lose him. Terrible. Honestly, the Mm. worst thing that ever happened to me was losing him. But it did set me on this lifelong course. How how much older was he than you? Five years, just five Five years. years. Yeah. Yeah. You would have been 14. Yeah. Exactly. At that time, which would have just um, added to, to, I suppose, your, you know, you're probably... I don't even know if you would have been overcoming the burn incidents uh, at that time, but that's really another burn to you, isn't it? And yes, and the worst age. one, and the worst one, yes. And the worst one, yeah. The um, and it's a story of resilience, um, clearly, and and it's something that I hear about. I don't really do too much research into it, um, but I certainly hear about it more often now. Is um, you know, suicide in younger people. 
um, which I just think is such a shame because that period of life, it's it's often very difficult for most people um, at d- different levels, I guess, as well. But you um, practice that resilience through that period and then generally you come out the other end um, a lot stronger to be able to deal with life. But to give up at that that point is is such a shame. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is there is there something that you feel that could be done more about this? Mm. Well, I mean, as a psychologist, obviously, I, 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 I very strongly believe in the value of mental health treatment mm. for, for anyone who's struggling with suicidal thoughts. Yeah. I, I, I think anytime someone says things like people would be better off without me or I wish I weren't here, that those things need to be treated very seriously uh it's interesting because people you know i've i've worked with lots of suicidal people and those thoughts can be very very intense at the time and then they can just pass you know you get someone a little help and a month later they feel so much better and it's always sad to me that people make these you know um permanent decisions when if they had just waited a little bit longer, they probably would have felt much better. Yeah, yeah. Do you see it's more of an issue nowadays than, than previously? Or do you see, I don't have the stats or anything, but in younger people? I don't, I don't know the stats on that either myself. I don't suspect it's higher or lower. I think it's just sort of an ongoing problem. Uh, I think young people are particularly at risk because, you know, when you're young, oh gosh, you haven't lived life long enough to know that eh, there's good times and there's bad times. You know what I mean? And mm. eh, you know, if you're 40 and your girlfriend breaks with the, breaks up with you, it's devastating. But you know, maybe you've had six other girlfriends before, and you probably know you're going to get another one sooner or later. Mm. But when you're 17, you don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that um, you know, as society and how we live is is an issue with with this whole resilience piece and people pushing through? Do you think there needs to be, I don't know, more networking, less social media, anything like that? Mm. Yeah, I, I listen. I enjoy social media, and I think it's fun, and I uh, like being in touch with people that way. But I do not think it is at all a substitute for real connection. Mm. And um, I, you know, I notice nowadays people, young people, don't even want to talk on the phone. You know, it's all texting, and and I, you know, I like a good texting too. But it's not the same thing as talking to a person, and goodness knows it's not the same thing as seeing a person. Mm. And I think I think when we don't connect with people regularly and with some depth it becomes very easy to get isolated and and caught up in some dark thoughts yes yeah mm-hmm. what um yeah I, I totally agree i think social media's got its its purpose potentially um and that's sometimes questionable i suppose <laughs> but but um you know it's it's a form of um you know communication and, and a form of entertainment i suppose as well um, so it's got value in some ways, but yeah, people can get caught up in it. And certainly, um, in my life and in my observation, I feel that, that 
that old fashioned get out there and network, you know, has has just depleted over the decades. You know, you think back to the 50s, how it might have been where people went down to the local community halls and dances and things like that. And then TV came in and that sort of sucked up more people's time and isolated people. And then social media is that next level, um, yeah. which has sucked us up a little bit more. Yeah, and and uh, I'll even take that one step further, Lee. Like back before there was ways to you know play records or stream music, people made their own music. You know, mm. people mm. could play the piano or they could play the violin or they sang together, and 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 making music was a sociable thing that towns did together and families did together and. Now people are just listening to whatever they want to listen to on their headphones, you know, not even sharing the music with the with whoever else is in the family. So I think it becomes easy to get more and more and more to oneself. Yeah. Well, we're, we're just consumed too. And, and this is a conversation I had with another gentleman recently, but we, um, we're just hooked on everything. We have to be always constantly um, watching something or listening to something yeah. rather than, you know, back when it wasn't around, there was times where you would have nothing and you would just have to sit there and be with oneself. And mm-hmm. I think that must have been in many ways very strengthening for one's um, training of a mind, um, whereas now we don't give that opportunity to ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think? agree. Yes, I do. Yeah. How do you um how do you help people with their their mindsets in your profession? Mm. You know, there is great value to trying to develop a more optimistic and hopeful mindset. And a lot of people when they come into therapy, they don't have that. They're usually they're anxious or they're depressed or they're mad. it's it's usually, you know, one of those three things, maybe there's more, but those are sort of the big three as far as I see. And, um, and, and none of those mindsets are upbeat or positive. And unfortunately, you know, our mindset does, uh, I don't want to say it determines what happens to us, but it sure has a big impact. Mm. Yeah. So I work with a lot with people about trying to understand kind of the the ways that they're interpreting the world that might be doing them damage and replacing those kind of darker thoughts with, I don't want to say cheerful ones, but ones that are more rational and yes, usually more positive. So let me give you an example. Um, there's a young woman I was working with recently who um, was was very nervous about going back to her job. Um, she'd been out with COVID, you know, because of COVID and she was going back and she was nervous how it was going to go and uh, would she be able to manage everything. And, and I worked with her on sort of soothing that thought and then replacing, you know, basically encouraging her every time she thought that that thought pattern to mm. replace it with, um, I'm smart and I work hard and I'll figure it out. Yeah. And that changed everything for her. Did she need prompts for that? Like, did she need to write it down and have it in front of her? Did she need to give herself the time, you know, before she started her shift to, to sort of sit there and reflect on those thoughts? How did you, 
implemented into a practice. Yeah, it's a it's a little cognitive behavioral technique, and you yeah. know, there's a few steps to it. It's not so easy as you wave a magic wand, right? But 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 it is a technique, and it works. Um, mm. And uh, that's the kind of thing that I I help people with that and and paying attention to how they talk to themselves about themselves. You know, some yeah. people talk to themselves in just terribly harsh, mm. demeaning ways and, and helping people develop a more um, warm and um, kinder tone yep. for themselves. Am I making sense? Yeah, yeah. So just watching the, the language that we use for ourselves and rather than always being so harsh and critical, um, maybe being a bit more kind to oneself. Yeah. Exactly so. But the, um, you know, is there, because I just feel that, yeah, I guess it's it's got to be practice and it's got to be consistent to develop it. But is there, like, do you advise people to, to do some meditation, some sort of mindfulness meditation, so that they're better to observe when these thoughts come in and therefore mm. change that language? Yeah, I mean, meditation is awesome. And yeah. uh, I do really encourage people to develop those skills and work on them and to meditate every day and I also try to meditate every day, uh, and it can make a huge difference. You know, I have to say, it's it's a lot easier for me to tell people to meditate than it is for them to to seem to do it. You know, some oh, people yeah. really take to it, and some people, mm. um, you know, resist it for years. And and I I watch them, and I think, oh God, you could feel so much better if you would just do this. But you know, it's uh, it's easy to suggest to people what they should do, and it's a whole other thing for them to wish to do it. Yeah. What does your practice look like? Uh, I spend, it's just 10 minutes, but I spend 10 minutes every morning yeah. um, sitting quietly just, just with when you my wake up dog or? next to me. Say it again? Just when you wake up or? Yeah, I, I get up, I take my little dog out, I make my coffee and put a lid on it so it stays hot. And then I do my meditation before I drink my coffee. <laughs> yeah, nice. Do you meditate, Lee? I used to do it quite regularly, and I'm a big believer in it. But I have uh, lost the the routine or the ritual of it, and uh, have tried to bring it back recently, but still haven't been very successful, to be honest. Um, and I, I do other things, like I swim most mornings, and that mm. to me, although many people may disagree, it, it's a kind of meditation for me as well because I am in the pool with just my thoughts, mm. and I just go up and down laps like there's no thinking as far as what I'm doing. So. That is some sort of, you know, medium for me. But, yeah, definitely the meditation. I used to do sort of um, 15, 20 minutes, 30-minute sessions in the morning, um, which I am trying to get back into the schedule and, and certainly have felt that through that practice I was better able to just observe my mind um, throughout the day. And if things came up, I was able to, to act on them, um, whereas previously before that it was, you know, very much a wandering mind that was unobserved. Yeah, it's amazing when you can notice your mind doing things. I know exactly what you're saying. Mm. And that does seem to, I get better and better at that the more I meditate. And when, yeah. I, when I fall away from it a bit, I'm not as good at it again. So, yeah, I agree. It's The two are intertwined, I think. Yeah. And so you're, um, that's certainly something useful for people to get started. Just going back to your book, um, The Flower and the Match. Ah, Yes. So, uh, yeah, the book, um, 
the the book cover was designed by Austin Alphonse, who's an incredibly brilliant um, designer, and also my nephew. Yeah. And he came up with this book design. So it's 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 a matchstick that with the, the flame has gone out, and there's just a little bit of puff of smoke drifting away from it, and and the matchstick is being used to be the stem of a flower, and a flower is drawn around the matchstick in charcoal. Um, which is a you know beautiful visual representation of the entire book, which is taking you know something difficult and finding a way to create something living and yeah. something beautiful. Finding the uh, the beauty or the 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 blossom in the uh, in the trauma that we experience in life. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, I I really think that my story has a lot to share with other people, and especially people this year, because this year is a terrible year, 2020. It's a terrible year for everybody, I, I imagine. Yeah. And I think all of us are going through really difficult times. Mm. And, you know, my book is about surviving trauma and recovering and healing and finding love and purpose. And I think, you know, first of all, everybody can use an uplifting story these days. And also, by the way, it's actually a really good read. It's 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 engaging and entertaining and even kind of funny, believe it or not. You wouldn't think so, but it is. Yeah. And so um, I'm just trying to reach as many people as I can with this message of like, you know, your life might be sh- oh I'm gonna not say that word. Your might be terrible. Right- <laughs> your life might be terrible right now too, but yeah. that doesn't mean it will be that way. You know, life goes on. Things will pass. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a uh, very pleasing thought the other morning. I woke up and I had a terrible night's sleep. And um, you know, when you have a bad sleep and you wake up, it's just sort of not always a nice way to start the day. Oh yeah. Um, but just through, you know, a practice of journaling and things like that, I think you can just change that perspective because it's easy to then go into the day, oh, why is me? This is painful. Um, but, you know, there could have been many more, much more painful ways for me to live that day. Mm. And I knew that the day would end at some stage and I would get through it because I had been before. And that yeah. just thought alone helped me, um, you know, just have a more sharper sort of positive perspective on the day ahead. And I think we can use that in life as well, you know, the uh, – yeah. The story of your journey is certainly that indeed, and um, hopefully will inspire others to know that you know things things can improve, um, mm-hmm. things will change, because um, that is constant. Mm-hmm. So, incredible, incredible uh, story, and and it it uh, has one you've written many years after the event. What what what? Why did it take so long for you to share your story? Yeah. I, so, yeah, I, I started writing this book uh, about 50 years after the fire. Mm. And the reason for that is um, I, I waited until my both of my parents had passed away. Yeah. Um, again, my, my especially my mother. My father, I, I have more positive things to say about. My mother, God bless her, was just a very limited person, and she really – didn't do a good job of keeping me safe or my brother safe or my stepsister safe. And she, she, she had many gifts and blessings, but she was not, she was, she should not have been a parent. Mm. So I didn't want to write the story until after she was gone. I knew that she would be mad at me 
and upset with me for putting out, you know, what happened. Um, and I just didn't want to cause her any pain. And I waited until she was gone. Yeah. By, and, and what I will say, Lee, is three weeks after she had died, and, you know, we had a funeral and cleaned out her place, I sat down to start to write this book, Lee. I wrote, I wrote this book in a year, and it's almost 300 pages. I wrote and wrote and wrote. It was like um, the story had just been, I'd been keeping it inside me for so long that when I finally had the chance to say it, it just Flowed. Burst out of me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. And I think, um, you know, again, I think we all have a story that we can share and uh, write about. And um, I think it'd be, well, I'd encourage everyone to to give it a go because it might seem like a hard task writing, but once you start, it's um, easy to have whatever comes out flow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So brilliant, uh, brilliant story. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, I want to wish you all the best for your uh, book sales. Is there? I'll put a link in the show notes so for people listening, they can grab a copy. Is there any place, um, Lisa, that people can reach you or find you? Absolutely. Um, so I have a website, which is my name, um, lisadegear.com, which is um, L-I-S-E-D-E-G-U-I-R-E.com. And uh, there's links in there um, to um, ways to buy the book. And I know that uh, for people who are listening down under, I already have friends from there who've bought the book there. So I know you can do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's uh, it's you know, it's it's a worldwide distribution. So if people are interested, it's it. I would love it if they would um, if they check it out. Check it out. I'll stick the links in the show notes, guys, for, for all of that. So um, check it out at thehiddenwire.com, episode, I think, 749. Uh, sorry, 949. So um, thank you, Lisa, for coming on again. And uh, this time we have recorded it. So awesome. we will be sharing it very soon. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for having me, Lee. It was good to talk to you twice. Thank you. And guys listening, until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels, using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. 
You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose. And in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is The Hidden Why. My name is Lee Manutzi. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.